by the brains behind the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. Built by the brawn of Daryl Morey and yours truly, Jessica Gelman. And generously brought to you by our partners at Oracle. Live from our work from home studios to yours, we proudly bring you Trash Talking, a podcast designed to debunk and demystify the use of analytics in sports. We'll point out the dangers of using trash data in decision making. And in true baller style, We'll serve it up with good old fashioned trash talking and invite some of our best and brightest friends in sports, business, media, and tech to join the conversation. And now at five foot eight from Kager, also known as Kraft Analytics Group and MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference co-founder, Jessica Gelman. Also weighing in at just over 200 pounds with a full beard from the Philadelphia 76ers and the other MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference co-founder, Daryl Morey. So what can you as a listener expect from trash talking? First off, you will get informed. We're going to give you a courtside seat to discussions with high profile thought leaders in the sports media and entertainment industries where you'll gain insights into some of the biggest issues in sports. And since data and analytics are so near and dear to our hearts, we'll always be sure to take that lens and ask our guests the tough questions. Over eight episodes in our inaugural season, we'll cover a range of issues impacting the future of sports, focused on things like data dangers, disruption, innovation, fan behavior, and much more. For this very special first ever episode, we decided to look to the person who inspired many people to enter the field of sports analytics. In fact, at each Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, we name our biggest conference room after him. Yep, that's right. It's the father of sabermetrics, Bill James. Here's the scouting report for today's discussion. Bill is the pioneer of sabermetrics, as I just said, which ushered in the use of analytics in baseball. His framework transformed the Oakland A's team as Billy Bean borrowed slash stole applied sabermetrics to draft and create successful teams on a low budget and inspired the book movie Moneyball. He served as senior baseball operations advisor for the Red Sox and won four World Series with them during his tenure. Bill has written over two dozen books related to baseball history and statistics, as well as two true crime novels. In 2006, Time Magazine named him as one of the top 100 most influential people in the world. I, of course, think he is one of the most influential people in the world every year, not just in 2006. Okay, so let's dive in. The last time we saw you, we were at our 14th annual Sloan Sports Analytics Conference and on a panel (laughs) in person called Sports in 2040. It is so hard to believe that it's been seven, eight months since then. So it's one of our favorite topics, the future of sports. And we wanted to start by just checking in. How are you doing? And more importantly, how are you trying to solve and help us through this pandemic? What do you see for the future of sports? The uh, uh, the, the meeting was, you know, at the very, very, very end of the pre-pandemic era. I don't know if you guys remember that, but, but we were all aware that this was hitting us. And we were like, uh, are we going to make it through this? Are we going to make it through this? If, if that meeting had been a, a week later, we wouldn't have made it. Uh, the uh, uh, it's pandemic has been easy on me. I I just stay in my room and do stuff. It's the same stuff I always do. So 
the only thing is I don't have to travel. So, Bill, in, in 1992, you and I were working somewhat together at Stats Inc. <laughs> Actually, you were visiting from Lawrence every once in a while. Right. And I was, uh, I was working, uh, trying to sell your Bill James fantasy baseball game. If, if I had asked you in 1992 what the future of sports would be in 1992, what would you have gotten right? Uh, yeah, if I'd asked you what it would be in 2020, what would you have gotten right back in 1992? What would you have gotten wrong? The, uh, uh, the, I certainly did not anticipate at that time that the things that you and I were interested in would become uh, as meaningful as they are. I mean, like everybody in the world, I always think that the sports team should pay attention to me. Uh, but I was kind of astonished when they actually started doing it. The, uh, uh, the, uh, I, I always I overestimated the strength of the resistance to the adaptation of the kind of ideas that you and I favor. Uh, I'd be interested if, if you had that experience as well, Jessica. Did you did you find that once you reached a certain point, there was actually less resistance there than you thought there was? The, the main thing that I see is people think they're doing analytics and data science, and it's not actually what I think we might describe as that. That's right. That's, that's exactly right. That, uh, the same thing, yeah. I'm actually amazed that people listen to you, Bill, because... Um, you played the Bill James fantasy baseball game and you were absolutely terrible at it, which should have uh, been an indicator that people maybe shouldn't listen to you later, but then Billy Bean and, and others and others did. But just for folks reference, one of the big prizes was if you beat Bill at his own game, you would get like free things. And I think it almost bankrupt stats early because Bill would come in near last in his own game all the time. A, that's totally untrue. And B, I was playing like 30, 30 teams at a time. Uh, <laughs> so that, that did somewhat interfere. And also, I don't, no disrespect to uh, fantasy sports, but I don't really have the killer instinct you need for fantasy sports. The uh, I, I never was somebody to uh, stay, up, stay up late and watch the waiver wires so I couldn't prove my fantasy. <laughs> Yeah. He's, he's throwing shade at you, Bill. That's what I'm saying. I'm trying to back up. I appreciate it. I have won four times, and I will give Bill credit. You did have the killer instinct at the instinct at the Red Sox, though. Definitely. Yeah, Three times while you were there, right? Four. When, but four. You, you'd be shocked to learn how little I had to do with that. So, but yeah, won <laughs> four times while I was there. I don't believe that, not for a second. Well, one thing I find, to, as it gets farther and farther down, and baseball is still about 10 years ahead of basketball or any other sport, that where it gets really complicated is the dynamic response from the other teams, like yeah. because you're down into these narrow areas. Yes, that's all true, except for the fact that you said a half a win. And <laughs> a half a win is, like, way bigger than anything we're doing now. So uh, – it's actually more like a tenth of we're, a win. We're, we're still on half wins, thank goodness. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Because that's right. I have a general question 
Uh, this is we've done so much on the player side, and I know there's been a lot of looking at the the referees who are or umps who are working on particular games. Have you thought, or is there enough information to do anything specifically on coaches and their decisions during games? Yes, there is enough information to do things. Um, there's a lot of resistance to doing it, and some resistance to publishing it once you've done it. The, uh, but for example, you can study um, third base coaches and runners thrown out at home plate. Oh. Uh, the uh, you can study batting coaches and relative success the next year. Although you have to work with good sized data samples, uh, you know, quite a multi year data. And I don't mean three years before you can really tell anything from a. But, but they, yes, there is enough data there to do that. What, um, speaking of that, what, what are the areas, Bill, what, which findings over the years gave you the biggest backlash? People just, it was like you were the complete heretic bringing it up. Yeah. Um, the, the number one and two things is the relative unimportance of speed on offense at the major league level. Um, the uh, you know, speed is a major determinant of how much you win when you're in high school baseball or college. But as you work up through the levels, defensive play gets to be better and defensive play can handle and counteract speed effectively enough that at the major league level, speed doesn't mean very much on offense. Speed still has great value on, on defense. You don't want to have a slow defense out there. Is that true? Is that also true in basketball? I'm glad you're asking because there are there are things that really differentiate players at the college level. I don't know high school as well. At the college level, that that really don't you know differentiate you as much uh, at the pro level. Um, I haven't looked at speed um speed necessarily um but you know i can just make some examples um you know let's take free throw shooting is relatively unimportant really at all levels it turns out uh, like the percentage you make isn't isn't super important did you make yours jessica yeah i think it's especially important at the end of games daryl but okay <laughs> You're you're all for the high you're for the high leverage, but but um, but yeah, it just turns out that what you select on to be successful at the pro level, um, the the only thing that free throw per, like percentage matters for the pro level is it gives you a, a like a base level that helps you predict how well someone's shooting is going to improve in the future. But it isn't necessarily just important on its own to differentiate you. Yeah. Well, and then gets to the, the other the other thing that I got a lot of kick pushback about, some of it vicious, was uh, clutch hitting or tendency to choke. And that that discussion goes on and on and on. The discussion about the importance of speed at the major league level on offense is pretty much over. Everybody pretty much recognizes that now. But uh, with regard to clutch hitting, people keep insisting they're going to find it somewhere, uh, and it's 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 like the the buried treasure from the 16th century that's on some island in North Carolina that nobody could ever find. 
Jessica still thinks that she's clutch from her playing days. This is a real argument that Daryl and I have, because when I was in college, I did do a bunch of psych experiments on what are the characteristics of people who perform well in pressure situations. And Daryl basically says that it is so infrequent that it happens. I mean, Daryl, if I'm saying this wrong, then it's not something that is like a priority to make sure you get. And my perspective is that pressure situations happen more than just at the end of games. They happen at the end of shot clocks. They happen at the end of quarters. Uh, There's a lot of different ways to define pressure. And there's people who thrive on it and people who don't. So I I personally still think there's something there. But, I mean, who am I to argue, Bill James and Daryl Murray? You're you're not not arguing with me. You're you're introducing a very interesting concept. um, One of the things that I made a mess of in the 1970s and 1980s was discussions of confidence. Um, and uh, the reason I did that is that analysts, in the TV sense of the word, uh, tend to throw the word confidence around like, you know, uh, free ice cream. It, it's uh, whenever a player has hit his last free throw, he now has confidence in his ability to hit a free throw. And that's really not what confidence is. Uh, what you know, confidence is, is an attenuation of self-doubt. Confidence used to be such a cheapened term uh, in discussions of the game that I tended to make fun of it. But that was wrong because I do recognize that confidence in one's ability uh, is crucial to the success in any athletic endeavor or in any endeavor in life. But it merely is not a simple thing that it's not a switch. It's, It's a series of 50 switches that have uh, a billion different positions they can be in. And real analysis, it, it, rather than this you know, statistical hair splitting, uh, real analysis does need to focus on questions like uh, the meaning of the term confidence. And it's not too improbable that there's some, uh, some setting of those switches related to confidence, which has... Uh, a lot, a, a great deal of predictive significance. If you can, if we can eventually get to the point which we, we find, if people like me stop making fun of the concept of confidence. My uh, my answer for this, Jessica, is I want you to become a GM of a team so I can go against you and you can <laughs> heavily heavily invest in your your theory. I think I I. I will, I will accept that challenge at some point. Um, I'm pretty busy with Kager right now, but the bill, just so you know, the, the area of focus that I thought was a potential, um, indicator of confidence or that could sway it significantly was the level of perfectionism of the athlete. So if you're a neurotic, your, your confidence would be very impacted by someone who, or by a, by a, uh, missing a shot or something like that versus people who have a quick uh, or they have a short-term memory or they're not neurotic about it, they're going to be more effective. And and I did run a bunch of experience, experiments and it actually did prove to be statistically significant. Bill, I imagine um, you, the sports psychologist couldn't tell you much unless he was helping someone that I bet he probably probably uh, informed <laughs> <laughs> quite a bit, I guess. 
So I do, I have a couple of um, questions just in terms of the impact of COVID, COVID in the ability to scout players. I don't know if you're, if you have heard or talked about it, or if there's, it, you have general awareness of how that could be impacting what's happening today and what that might mean for the draft next year. As long as it involves Kansas University players, you'll be fine. <laughs> the, uh, I think it's a huge problem. And, uh, we all think that it's old guys like me that, that COVID is hardest on uh, because we're the ones that it kills immediately. But COVID is playing hell with the lives of young people, you know, because, you know, you're only young and pretty for two years, you know, and then, <laughs> uh, and, you know, if you lose one of those, uh, it's a big deal in your life and people won't take it seriously, but damn it, it's a serious thing. And the same, especially, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of young athletes at any moment who are poised on the precipice of, of entering or not entering a pro career. And this is, is terrible for them. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a, the, uh, it's similar to when, uh, at like the 1980 Olympics were canceled, just what happened. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. By, by the way, I, I must've met 25 people. I, I bet I've met two actual athletes. Olympic athletes in my life. I know you've met many more. I must have met 25 people who were going to go to the Olympics in Moscow, but they canceled them. So. Yeah, it's a little selective bias there. I'm guessing. Yes. yes. Um, what which sports do you think are the hardest to use analytics? I I I think you're at your best, Bill, when you're riffing on on other sports. So, which sports do you think are the hardest uh, for analytics ever to help? The um... Uh, hockey is very, very difficult because the uh, the number of resets is huge. I mean, the, uh, and they're like half resets and false resets, and it looks like the other team has gotten the pass, but they don't. The um, and I, that's very hard. I mean, football is actually a lot like baseball, and that you stop the action and reset uh, about you know 80 times a game, and it, it, it's 150 for the two teams. The, uh, and, uh, but basketball is harder because there's more interplay between sets and hockey is harder yet because there's a lot of, you know, they're, they're never at any particular place where you can stop and calculate. You know, it's Sorry. really, I was going to say uh, our uh, research paper competition this year, the submissions, we had a huge uptick in football. And then the other two big new sports, or not new, but the ones that we had a, a bunch of additional research papers were volleyball and tennis. So just in terms of sports that there seems to be some undercurrents of activity around analytics, I don't know if you've looked at, at those other two sports at all. No. The, uh, in fact, one of my failings as a human being is I never look at anybody else's research. The, uh, and, and it's just... I was the only person doing what I knew for until I was 45 years old. And I was just in the habit of doing it myself. And when other people started doing it, I I never got in the habit of looking at them. I'm not saying that's the right way to do it. It's a bad way to do it, but that's who I am. Do you know that Daryl stole, or I'm sorry, applied your um, Pythagorean expectation to basketball? Yeah. And I'm amazed it works as well as it does. I, I never thought it would work that well because I thought that as the, Exponent got so large that it would uh, it would just go haywire and not work. But it, damned if it doesn't. It's interesting. Uh, 
Thank you for pointing that out, Jessica. I appreciate it. Um, it's interesting. My answer to which sports are the hardest would be completely different than yours, Bill. So I, I think the NFL, I agree you have the, uh, you know, the, the discrete nature of plays, but you have so few data. They play almost no games, and there's 22 players on the field at a time. I think the NFL is, like, for me, the hardest of the, the big sports. Hockey, to me, like, you have enough line changes. You got enough movement of players. And you might be able to do state change type stuff. I know I know. there's a lot of hockey analysis. But for me, by far the hardest, because I did it, was actually eSports, which you probably haven't done yet, Bill. Right. But if you imagine eSports, basically you have the players, and they change the rules significantly every, like, two weeks. So, yeah. it, was, so it would be like James Harden – Every two weeks, they say, "Okay, this week you can't shoot three pointers anymore. Now see what you can do." And and imagine right. trying to like build a data set in that. That's what we tried to do, and it was very very difficult. So I I have esports number one as the hardest now. Well, how do you find sports there? But the uh, my, my solution to that problem is just to define sports in such a way that esports aren't included, and then you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, if you just have baseball and cricket, everything's very, very easy to analyze. It turns out. So, so we have ahead. a couple of we have a couple of games to play as we kind yeah. of round this out. Yes, oh, I love, I love so, it. So yeah, so um, Bill, we can do a couple of different takes on this, but we're calling this uh, it's game time, and it's our version of a game called kiss, date, or marry. I guess people have told me I don't need to give that preamble, but it's a uh, bench trade or franchise tag, but it's not necessarily about athletes. Daryl will probably make it about athletes, but I'm going to start by making it about statistical innovations in sports. And you have to pick which one you would bench, which one you would trade and which one you would franchise tag keep. These are, um, baseball focus, but we can, we can pick up other ones. Okay. The first is runs created. The second is secondary average. And the third is safe lead. You pick which one you're going to put it into. And then you need to give us an explanation as to why you would bench it, trade it or franchise tag it. The, um, well, uh, the safe lead, I would have to put on the bench because it's just, it's just a fun thing. Uh, it, you know, there's, uh, I mean, it does have a little bit of, of, uh, practical value. I have occasionally seen a basketball coach, uh, totally misread when the lead is safe and pull guys out when, or take the foot off the pedal when the game is actually still there. And, uh, but it's not really practical to, to have a computer there and, and have somebody say to the coach, uh, hey, you know, the lead isn't really safe. What the hell are you doing here? The, uh, uh, but uh, uh, so we'll have to bench that one. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons have an issue with that one. Well, you say, boy, that, that's amazing, isn't it? How could they possibly? Yeah. The, anyway, the, um, uh, I guess I'll trade runs created. The reason being that the reason being that uh, it has so many competitors and and stuff like it that you know somebody else can use it. 
And secondary average, which is a, uh, it's it's more of a of a of a, it's not an actual measurement. It's just a, a concept that explains a measurement. But I'm very fond of it, and I'd like to see it do better. I thought for sure franchise tag runs created because we yeah. stole that battle. But your answer is good. Yeah, you can get a good replacement for it for cheap. So right. that's smart. Right. All right, I have another one. Again, Daryl, you can jump in because I'm, I'm sure you're going to have one. Um, so obviously, Bill, you are an avid writer and maybe reader too, I would assume. So we're going to do it this with crime novels. This is your side hustle, as we know. Uh, yeah. so, the three, so the three books, and I'm not going to take any credit for these books, are In Cold Blood, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, and The Man from the Train, which I read, oh, which you, you wrote, as you know. Yeah. The, uh, I didn't know you'd read it, so thank you. In Cold Blood is the, is the greatest book in the, in the history of crime uh, nonfiction. The, um, although he, he, you know, he, did, he didn't always get things right, and he didn't care about that. Uh, but it's, it's uh, very readable and quite profound in its own way. Um, I never read, so I'll, make that the, I'll give that the franchise tag. The, uh, and uh, I never read I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Is that the one about the guy from uh, California? What's his name? Uh, they don't know. The, uh, I never read it. The, uh, and so that, that, would, that would be on the, on the trade list. And the bathroom train that would be on the bench. Well, I disagree with you benching your own book because I, I found it very interesting and appreciated it immensely. So so Karen, my, my daughter, Karen, Bill, she's using your character for a man from the train uh, as part of her like short film she's she's doing right now because because she, they find a dead body in Houston, and I told her to find it in the Heights, where the guy was uh, operating for. Right. Period, so. right. Yeah. Yeah. Daryl, you got uh, you got any topics from your many conversations with Bill that you would like to bench trade or franchise tag? Question him. Just off, just off the top of my. Yeah, head. I'm, 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 put, I'm like throwing you, you know. At the free okay. throw line with three seconds to go. Let's see how close right, you are. Ready. Okay. I would say which sport um, has the you would you would bench trade or franchise tag their set of current rules? Ooh. Baseball, um, soccer, or I'm gonna go with I'll go with football. So those those three. Baseball, soccer, football. Who would their rules? Which ones are you franchise tagging? Which are you trading? Which are you benching? The um, um, I, I would trade soccer back to Europe in in exchange for a large contingent of Italian cooks, uh, <laughs> even a small contingent of Italian cooks. The um, uh, so that, that's the trade. Um, Baseball has lots of inane practices, but they're not actually in the rules. 
Baseball has the best rules. It just has lots of inane practices that they refuse to make rules to prohibit. Um, and football has, I mean, I love watching football, right? You know, uh, but I swear this year there is a, there is either a, an offsides or, uh, or um, illegal procedure call on what one play out of four. It's just, they can't, they seem to lack the ability to tell the referees, hey, unless it actually interferes with the game, you don't really need to call that. Uh, the, uh, so the football leads in. in I, I know you and I have talked about this before, and, and you've, you've argued that soccer has the worst set of rules, but football has the most inane collection of small, petty rules that interfere with the, with the conduct of the of the game. Baseball's real problem is a lack of rules to control certain things. Does that make sense? Yeah, so the fo- football, the celebration rules get in the way of uh, <laughs> well, uh, what what baseball rule, what 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 one of their uncodified things needs a rule? What's your biggest one there? The uh, uh, you, you need a rule to stop guys from stepping out of the box in the middle of the of the uh, the batter, batter's box. The, the, uh, it's like uh, the balk rule in baseball is basically identical to having a rule in in basketball that you can't run a fast break without warning the other team that you're going to run a fast break. I'm sorry, <laughs> you forgot to signal for a fast break there, so you, you can't run it. That, I mean, that's exactly what it is. It, it's the balk rule is you got to play fair with that base runner. You can't try to deceive him. But trying to deceive people is the essence of part of the essence of sport, right? You, I mean, <laughs> it's like you can't, you don't. Basketball doesn't ban head fakes, and you know, football yeah. doesn't ban fake handoffs. But but baseball bans lots of stuff on the theory that that it's it's deceptive. Uh, you know, it doesn't, you're allowed to make a fake throw back to the pitcher to tag someone out, like right, well, right. No <laughs> and that happened in 1927. Sure, the. Uh, oh. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, so that, that start with balk rule, and, and what you I give you the balk rule, but you need to you need to limit the number of times you can throw to first, and you need to stop guys from stepping out of the box in the middle of the batting order. Well, middle. stopping stepping out of the box would be easy. Just you know, if the strike is thrown right out of the box, then it's a strike. That, well, that's the rule. That's that's actually the rule, Daryl. That's that, that's what the rule says now. But they don't do, you it. do it. <laughs> Well, this was a lot of fun. This is our first episode of Trash Talking, if you don't know that, Bill. So okay. as, as you know, our biggest conference room at the, at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference is named after you. You are yes. our first Lifetime Achievement Award winner, and you're our first guest on the show because we admire you, and you have had such a tremendous impact on sports and sports analytics and you know, thank you for your time and for being such a great leader in this space for all of us. I'm honored to honored, honored to occupy that position in your imagination, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Appreciate thank you. It. Thank you. Appreciate it. Post game huddle. What a fun discussion with Bill James. He is so enlightening and has such a quirky, sharp sense of humor. Very dry. My three takeaways, and you can jump in here, Daryl. First, 
I loved his feedback on coaching analytics and in particular on the third base coach and some of the findings that, that he brought up. Second, the commentary about athletes today and how they're only pretty for two years was both hilarious and enlightening. And then the third was, I, I really liked the interplay between the two of you guys with respect to hockey from his perspective as one of the most difficult to, to measure and your counters to that. I was like uh, disagreeing with Bill because I feel like I learn a lot when that happens because he was like 180 for me on, on my thoughts there. What I love about the podcast is uh, I get this like incredible um, honor. And I think maybe we should have a podcast winner do this with me every year. I sort of bring someone with me to Lawrence to get to Lawrence, Kansas, to go to a game with, uh, you can't win Jessica. I think I should just get to go. We'll bring bring four. We'll bring four. We'll have a podcast winner, podcast listener winner. We'll figure out how to do that. Uh, come to Lawrence, Kansas with Bill and I, when, when humans are allowed to go to arenas again. And because uh, we'll sit for three hours, you know, not three hours, two and a half hours, watch the Kansas game and uh, chop it up like we did on the podcast, which was so fun. Were you were you surprised, though, by the hockey comment from him? I mean, actually very. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I go into most of those discussions feeling like I probably have thought through this, but he he opened my eyes like. Uh, the part of the big aspect for me is how many players are on the field and how little data you have in the NFL. And he was thinking more just how hard it is to separate out who's contributing in a fast paced game like hockey, I think. So. But it actually makes sense in terms of where he found opportunities in baseball and where you found opportunities in basketball that you would gravitate towards something that had more of a flow like basketball, right? Yeah, and he 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 finds the flow hard, so he thinks the NFL is easier because you always are starting at a play, so that is comfortable for him. Whereas I'm already used to a, a high pace game uh, like basketball, unless so it was my, in the '90s, yeah, unless in, yeah. Well, so my other comment, of course, that I I didn't think I would like to go deeper on it at some point is the whole performance under pressure, because I don't know if he was just placating me by saying there was something there. But again, I always like someone who is a contrarian to you. Yeah, what you're getting there is old school Bill, where he doesn't disagree with anybody. So he, in his younger days, he <laughs> thought everyone was an idiot, and he was the only one with the answers. And he, instead of like oscillating to the middle, like he went to all the other other way, where he he actually thinks everything anyone says is plausible, which is probably probably a better place to start from. But yeah, so he he's big on almost repudiating like everything he talked about in the eighties, almost as to, as a way to make up for his uh, sins of being overly arrogant back in those days. Do you think it might be that he doesn't want to debate and he is more open-minded to other people's viewpoints as he's <laughs> gotten broader perspective? I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. As that I'm would thinking. be, that, that would be very enlightened. Maybe he's, yeah, maybe that's where I need to get to. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> I don't know. You're doing, you're doing just fine. Well, we're coming up at the end of the show, but uh, Daryl, we we haven't actually talked much about the your new role. Congratulations! Thank you. Yeah, that's the, sure. you know the, president the first podcast I've talked about it exclusively. This is the first podcast you've talked about it. Yes. Yeah. Well, congratulations! So. I I've enjoyed hearing the people's perspective of what they think you're going to do. 
uh, <laughs> versus kind of my experiences with you, which is always playing to your competitive advantage. Um, I don't even know what I'm going to do. So I'm actually curious that they know. So yeah, <laughs> I, always say this, I always say this about NBA draft picks when we're trying to forecast them at 19. How are we going to predict who they're going to be? They don't even know who they want to be. So, so it's very hard. Yeah, I, frankly, until you get in there and really figure things out, you don't you you don't really know what you're going to do. So, well, I know that there's been some good recommendations on Philly cheesesteak places and a couple of <laughs> you, other. You places. immediately confirm Philly hates our podcast. Now they it's like saying Houston, we have a problem. They don't like they don't like talking <laughs> about cheesesteak. They're very proud of their cheesesteaks. No, 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 they hate when people talk about it. You got to. Oh, okay. I well, got the whole briefing. I got the whole briefing coming in. Don't say this. Do that. You know. So. Well, you always listen to what they recommend that you. Do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I follow that perfectly. Thank you, Bill, for being with us on this episode. Thank you to Oracle for sponsoring the podcast. Thank you to our listeners. Hope you had fun. Thank you to Lance, Jason, Maggie, and Andrew had to endure the torture of this podcast from start to finish. Thank you to the MIT Sloan students, especially Andrew Lynn and Maggie Riddle. If you enjoy this podcast, please submit questions, comments, or future topic ideas to trashtalking at sloansportsconference.com. Don't miss our next exciting episode with Jonathan Kraft. Is it